I can't even hear it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I can't hear you. And rolling, take one. Is it going to be all right? Hello, and welcome back to All Through a Lens. This is a podcast about film photography, where we discuss a little more than just film photography. Hi, Vanya. And I'm Eric. And on this episode, our first of the 22-23 season, we'll be hearing from a few near and dear friends about what they've been up to since we last talked to them. There's Kate Miller-Wilson, Jess Hobbs, Kat Swansea, Nick Gaylord, and Aria. We'll also chat about the movie Nope in some photographically historical ways. I will regale you with a hiking story that almost doesn't involve me dying, sort of, I guess. And we've got zine reviews, the answering machine, and so, so much more. So sit down, shut up, and welcome the hell back to All Through a Lens. But first, Vanya. Yes. How have you been? I've been good. I am really hot. And I think everybody listening to this could probably say the same thing because it's fucking hot. (laughs) It's really, really hot. It is. It's almost like it's still summer. Yeah, it's crazy. And I'm recording in a non-air conditioned house in a closed door room where it was already like 90 degrees. So yeah, it's purifying. Embrace it. I am literally in a sauna right now. I am sweating it out here on the podcast. A lot of people would pay good money for that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm exercising the demons. (laughs) Good. They they were looking a little flabby, so they need some exercising. (laughs) I don't mean to fat shame demons. Sorry, demons. We're all good. (laughs) Whoa. I know. Take it easy there. You're going to get canceled. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I heard tell that you've got cameras. I do have cameras. I that's why, you know, we decided that I was a good fit for this podcast, but I I think another thing that people could probably relate to is if someone finds out that you're a film photographer, you get gifts. <laughs> and sometimes it's hard to say no. And I usually never say no because I always feel like because I am kind of the film photographer, so to speak, of my friends, if anybody had a question about it, they would come to me. Or if one of their friend's friends had a question, they would come to me. Well, yeah, of course. That's a good thing. Yeah. So yeah. it just gives me an opportunity to play with these cameras for a bit until I um, basically adopt them out. I basically am like a camera fosterer. Like I foster cameras <laughs> and wait for good homes for them. That's a good idea. That's like a little, that should be a thing, right? It is a thing. That's what I do. But like more of a thing, because a lot of people just keep collecting cameras and keep collecting cameras. And there's some people who we know and love very dearly who have, by their own word, too many cameras. I know a girl like that, actually. <laughs> I wonder if she has too many cameras now or she felt like... Because I think she probably has more cameras now than she did when she made that Instagram handle. She should be a girl with too, too many cameras, maybe. <laughs> Possibly. Well, we feel obligated sometimes when people mm-hmm. give us gifts. I, I'm okay with saying no. If someone tries to give me a gift of a camera that I don't want, I'm 
fine with saying no. I guess I'm the asshole. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's what an asshole is, but if so, I'm that. But it would be kind of nice to be have like, there's like a, a place where we can give cameras. It sounds like I'm leading up to pitching something. I'm not. This is just like a, maybe a good idea. I mean, honestly, what I should do is just make like a free like rescue camera, like fostering site where you can <laughs> check out my fostered cameras right now and see if any of them, you know, look like something you would want to take in and adopt. <laughs> <laughs> and like with animals, you would, we'd have to interview them to make yes. sure that it's going to a good home. Have you mm-hmm. had a camera before? Well, what happened to that camera? Why don't you have that camera anymore? Did you mistreat that camera? Like, are you one of those like people that leaves your camera outside in the backyard? And no, they have like a camera house out there with a really long chain, but it's just not good. Don't do that. <laughs> I don't think that's acceptable anymore. That's not a bad idea you have there. It's not really a money-making idea. I'm getting free cameras. In turn, I'm giving away free cameras. Well, we could you could we could do a, a rehoming fee. A rehoming fee. <laughs> a rehoming fee. Yeah. And we'd be so happy that the camera is going to its forever home. You know what'd be really cool is if I can get like a couple film companies to just like send me free film so when I give cameras I get like get like a little kit you know like how when you get a dog sometimes you get like a little bag of dog food and some pads maybe or whatever a little collar Mm -hmm. a leash well I would give you like a camera strap and a roll of film a little microfiber lens cleaner or one of those Kodak uh squeezy brush ones that everyone has yeah no one uses (laughs) Because I think I have like four or five of them somewhere randomly. <laughs> or like those like uh, rice paper tissues that are like really, really old that no one uses either. Oh, those were awful. I don't like those. The microfiber cloth is definitely the way to go. I use the tissues for like blotting my, my face when I'm greasy, which I should be doing right now because I am pretty shiny. Well, it's probably more sweat than grease. <laughs> True. Okay. So that's my banter. I'm going to do something very visual. Sorry, guys. I'm going to show Eric some of these cameras and I'll make it quick, but I will do my best to explain them. Okay. What's the, what's the first one? Well, let's see what I got. I literally have like a little bucket. <laughs> because a bucket of camera? Is, like, is it really yes. a bucket? That's a bucket. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You know, like when you go um, basically like behind the liquor store and there's like a box of kittens. It's kind of like that. Okay. All right. I, I'm not familiar with liquor store kittens, but I, I believe you. All right. Okay. What's the first one? The first one I think you're going to really like, and it'll take you back just a wee bit. And okay. if you guys know what this is, then I know how old you are. And if you don't, um, I know how old you are. Is it a disc camera? <laughs> it's a disc it camera. Is. <laughs> It's a Kodak Disc 4100. Wow, what a what a piece of small architecture that is. Yeah, it it's kind of the design is wonderful. Um the the closure to keep the lens covered mm-hmm. and safe is fantastic. So like it kind of reminds me of like an old school like flip phone or something like a Blackberry, kinda, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um for those who don't know what a disc film camera is it was kodak in the 80s made what kind of looked like a viewmaster disc right i mean sort of like that yeah and they were of course you know film and you took pictures on those 
you couldn't use them in Viewmasters or anything. It wasn't like anything like that, anything like that. But it was similar to that idea. Negatives exactly. on a circle. Yeah. Like because it was why not? Yeah. They were making their way to digital and that's where they decided to go. <laughs> it was sort of the one ten size, right? Like the the frames were about one ten size. Yeah. yeah. The, the, tiny. Yeah. Tiny, tiny, tiny. All right. Next okay. one. Number two. Numero dos is called the car that I wish I had. <laughs> and car? hopefully one day I will. <laughs> a Bentley. Oh, oh, a Bentley. Uh, I didn't yeah. know Bentley also made cameras. They do. So wow. I've always wanted a Bentley. I mean, obviously the one with the suicide doors, like, you know, like a late, yeah. like 60s or whatever. Not not the new ones. Um, I don't have one yet, but I do have the uh, Bentley 35 millimeter. It's a Bentley WX-3. Wow. It looks very similar to the Time Life cameras from the 80s. Okay. I would say that, yes, but... There's some weight to this. It, oh. There is, it's not, it's it's a harder plastic. Wow. And there, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a harder plastic. It doesn't feel like like a Holga. It feels a little heavier. So, okay, next okay. one. Okay, number three. So, I'm a big fan of Minolta's, and I don't have this one, so I'm pretty stoked. It's okay. a rangefinder. It's a Minolta 7S, and Ooh. that has a... Oh, what is this? A 1.8 45 millimeter lens on it. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Out of all of them so far, that seems to be kind of the winner. Yeah. It's, and this one is quite heavy. It feels yeah. good. I like Ooh. a little bit of, of weight, you know? Yeah. When they're too light, it freaks me out. Okay. <laughs> just, you gotta have cushion for the pushing, if you know what I mean. I, I, I don't. I don't know. What, what do you mean? Okay, so this is the one that I actually gave to, I, I had one that looked like this. It's not the same um, brand. The one I had was a Perfex. Okay. I gave that away, but now I have a Claris. Claris. Oh, that's a kind of a fun font on there. It is model MS35. It's a rangefinder. It, it looks like a fairly generic 1960s rangefinder. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Really heavy, little tiny, and a stigma mat. What is that? It's when you can focus everything, right? What's it called? Uh, and, uh, it's, it, is it anastigmat? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm bad at pronouncing words like that. Okay. I, I Me apologize. Too. I also well, I'm glad that I put you on <laughs> blast as well. So look at us go. I don't feel like I'm on blast, but thank you. Yeah, so F.28, I shot Tasma in it in fresno and i really love the pictures oh i remember that yeah so i'm i'm excited i think it'll be something fun to to use once or twice for sure i i'm excited to see the result so this is a pentax p3 another 35 millimeter okay what, so what do you know my, about that? I mean, it looks looks like a regular Pentax, but but but, but kind of sleeker. I think it would be good for like a student or like maybe somebody somebody's kid that wants to shoot. Sure, yeah. Uh, probably one of my favorites so far. What in the hell is that? <laughs> it's not actually a camera. It's uh, oh, a toy. Okay. Fisher oh, Price. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Um, Division of Quaker Oats. So this is the Quaker Oats camera. Yeah, 1988. Okay. What? It's a 
It looks like an like, like an underwater camera. It does. It's basically like supposed to be some sort of kaleidoscope type thing. Oh, okay. So when you click down the shutter, it just changes colors in there. Amazing. This one, she picked up when she gave me this bucket and was like, eh, you know, there's just stuff like this. Eh, you know, no big deal. And I was like, this is a good camera. I know a lot of people that actually really enjoy these cameras. And it is a Nikon... AF. It's Nikon as fuck. Gotcha. Yes. Yes. Nikon as fuck. It's a 35 millimeter with a 35 millimeter lens, nice and wide. And it's a one, uh, it's a 2.8. It's great. It's a, I mean, these cameras are so fun. They're light and awesome. The battery is possibly not working. (laughs) Okay. I might need to clean that one out. So I'm kind of bummed about that, but like it. This one is a display piece. So we're we're getting to the end here. Display piece. This is a, a, oh, it's a swinger, a Polaroid swinger. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. They don't, that they, no, no film for those anymore. No, unfortunately not. I've always wanted to swing. It's a bummer. Maybe next time. All right. Okay, now we're opening up a a large briefcase. Well, medium-sized briefcase. Hopefully there's money in it. Oh, no. Oh, no money. Bummer. Okay, so a old Model 150 Polaroid land camera. Oh, people have been turning those into uh, sort of a 4x5-ish. Yeah, so that would be really fun to maybe do because yeah, this is got the backing paper Polaroid roll film that they don't make anymore either. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when we went to Policon in San Francisco, the first time there was a wonderful lady that had one with a four by five back. It was really cool to yeah, see. Yeah, I remember that. Well, that's cool. Definitely some fun stuff. And then um, just a couple random, I got this uh, really cool comedy um, film. Oh, it's an, Eight millimeter reel of W.C. Fields, uh, a laugh riot. Yes. Uh, I'm sure it's wonderful. Yeah. So got that. And then a ton of uh, drop-in filters, tiny drop-in filters that actually fit on my Yashica mat. And one, I think there's a hood as well. So I think I might be able to fit it on a couple other cameras as well. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, oh, yeah, well, I'm sorry, one last one. Minolta XGM. Yeah, this one has a 28 uh, millimeter, 2.8. This is fun. It has the data back. I love when cameras have these. Oh, I wow. think it's fantastic. So if you guys don't know what a data back is, it's bas- it's basically like this little add-on that you would get uh, where you can punch in the date and time year onto the film on like your regular SLR camera. Like a lot of the automatics in the 90s had them, like the compacts, but these SLRs, you you would need a data back for that. And that puts like the, the, the little digital time or date or whatever in the corner of the photo? Yes. Okay. That's what's happening over here. Let's be done with me and let's talk. <laughs> let, l- l- tell me things, please. While you are gathering more and more cameras to the fold, I have, well, I've pared down last year, but this this past trip that I just got back from, I shot mostly with just two cameras. I shot with the, the Chamonix 4x5 and I shot with the RB67. I did a, a few shots with a Graflex, but very, very few. And I brought your Hasselblad and I brought um, the Graflex RB 
did not use either of those at all. Whoa. Yeah. Because like two years ago, you remember our first episode back was called something like, by the end of the trip, there were cameras all over the car or something like that. Yeah. I can't I remember. remember. I don't remember who's, if it was my title or your title or who said it. But I do remember that that was me. I had cameras all over the fucking car because that was the year that I brought 15 cameras along. And yeah. that was too many. Well, and this summer we didn't meet up. I think we that if we met up this summer, you probably would have dropped a couple cameras off in my car because you seemed to do that too. I would have given you your Hasselblad back, I think. Usually I end up with all sorts of stuff of yours. You're like, here, you're going to be with me for a couple, like what, for a week? Here, let me that is true. give you all this shit in the back of my car to loosen the <laughs> load here, lighten the load. What I found really interesting about all of this is having just like two cameras, I didn't find it limiting at all. I never felt the urge to shoot square, for example, because you know, the RB67 and the 4x5, they're roughly the same ratio you know, roughly the same frame. And so if I wanted to shoot a little wider, I couldn't. If I wanted to shoot square, I couldn't. So I didn't feel limited. I didn't feel like I needed to do something else. And that was kind of really cool. I was just kind of taking it in and using those cameras. I had, say, I have several different backs for the RB67, which means that I can shoot, you know, black and white film with color film, with expired film, you know, and swap the backs. And I really, really recommend that because it's not, it's not like having more than one camera, but it's like being able to shoot more than one kind of film at the at a time. The RB67 was basically around my neck or at my hip all the time. It, I rarely left the car without it. And when I did, it was because I was shooting the, the Shamini 4x5. I guess I also realized this trip more than any that with large format, especially, while the camera is important, like the actual body of the camera is important because it allows you to do the movements and all of that, the lens is by far the most important thing. Mm -hmm. If you have a large format camera and you get a shitty lens that you don't like, the camera is kind of useless. And that goes with any camera, but with large format, especially the camera and the lenses are very, very separate. Yeah. Uh, with the 4x5, I use mostly two Steinheil lenses. I had the the Anastigmat. That was kind of a kit lens for the old Graflex. And there, I think I said the word right. Anastigmat. You got it. I think so. She was a nice old gal. Um, that Anna. Best best shot on the west side. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're talking One about. One first now. place in the tri-state tri county. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So yeah, that one's basically a kit lens for a Graflex from the 1920s or 30s. And then I have the Rapid Anti-Planet, which is, I think, the coolest named lens in the history of lenses, right? Yeah. It just, it reminds me of Fantastic Planet, which is your favorite movie ever. I don't hate Fantastic Planet. <laughs> um, no, I do kind of hate Fantastic Planet. I'm sorry. And that's maybe from like the 1890s, that lens. It's very much its own personality. Kind of like you. I mean, yeah, and you. We all have our own personalities. A little, a little odd. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Well, before I left, I thought I was really kind of getting the hang of it. But as it turns out, uh, I, I don't think I have a hang of it at all. Mm. Uh, the main reason is it doesn't have a shutter. And I had to devise a way to be able to shoot every image with like a second or two second shutter speed, which... Mm -hmm is a whole thing that I'm going to get into and kind of tell you how to do that with a brass lens that doesn't have a shutter. Because I know that's a lot of reasons people don't buy them. It's because well, we don't know how to 
Like, how are we going to use it without a shutter? A lot of them put them in speed graphics, which has it's a shutter, you know, the focal plane shutter. But apart from that, like, what if you want to do movements with it? You can't really do that with a Graphlex. So maybe the next episode or the next, I'm going to go through very precisely how I did it. It's not difficult, but it's difficult to explain. Yeah, I have this like same same issue. I don't have a shutter in my 8x10 slash 5x7 um, camera. Yeah. And I'm just going to use a lens cap. But instead of a lens cap, I have decided that I want like a little like tiny bowler cap you know, like a little bowler hat. Yeah, sure. But that's the lens cap. And I want it to just make it really thick and cushiony. So it's like soft. It goes on really quick and, mm -hmm. you know, because I, I do the last time I used it to do some tin types, I was using my actual like bowler hat that I was wearing. And then I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this is it. Like I need to wear this hat. But then also my camera needs to wear this bowler hat as well so yeah Ooh, you can't both wear it at the same time no so yeah if, unless anybody like knows a hatter that can make me like a tiny a, a tiny bowler <laughs> i will pay or trade cameras <laughs> for a tiny bowler well i will get into that because if you have a hundred speed film you can't just use a bowler hat you need or a, any kind of lens cap for that matter because that'd be like on a sunny day a hundred speed film you're looking at, you know, one one hundredth of a second, maybe one fiftieth if you can do your aperture settings, right? Or even one twenty-fifth. You're going to need some ND filters. You can't move your hand that quickly. So I will teach you how to do that, but not now. We're not going to talk about that now. And a stigmat could, she got first place in the Tri-State tri County Fair. I, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. Um, let's just start the episode. Okay. Even though it's a brand new season, we still put on our house slippers and our cozy cardigans, probably the same ones we had from last season, and we check our answering machine, which is not new. We asked listeners to call in and leave us a message answering whatever weird-ass question we came up with. You came up with this question this time, and it is, what is the most meaningful or moving thing you photographed this summer? Yes, and as normal... I have listened to these and you have not, but I do want to warn you, we are in for a bumpy ride. <laughs> oh, good. Let's uh, push the button. Hello, no one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. Hey, Eric and Vanya, Matt at Moonraker32 here. Um, so the most meaningful thing I photographed this summer would be our uh, office cat, Leo. And the reason why, it's kind of a sad thing, but uh, he's been kind of, he's been sick off and on for a year and it came time where he just time to put him to rest, um, unfortunately. But on his last day at the office, I decided to uh, take some photos of him with um, the new one instant um, black and white film to kind of just, you know, acknowledge that he was there and he was important to our office and that we'll miss him. And so um, while it was sad, it was definitely glad I did it and, um, and we'll miss our little office buddy. Thank you all. Okay, I see where this is going. <laughs> yes. um, I will say, and 
only photographers will know this, but if you use the one instant on anything, it must have been important, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't, what, what is a one instant? I don't know what that is. It's like the peel apart, I think, isn't it the peel apart that they tried to make? It's called oh. one instant. Oh, that's the one that we tested at a Policon that, yeah, smelled, that smelled of... Um, yes. Yes, of gross grossness. Unless yes. you like that sort of thing. But, uh, <laughs> I, I do not. So it smells like babies. Not not quite. Uh, not baby babies. seeds. Okay. Ew. Um, so I did the same thing with Juniper. Do you remember the last day? Mm-hmm. Like the, the very last day. Um, I know. She was sick and very tired and she was laying on her little her little mat and I was like, well, this is probably mm-hmm. it. And we weren't sure at that point. And I got my, uh, I don't remember, I think it was the Graflex actually. And I loaded up the film with it, I think HP5. And I took four or five photos of, of my, my little friend. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, I mean, it, I... When I when I came up with the question, I was not thinking this. I wasn't thinking mm. death at all. But now looking back on it, yeah, those are some of the most meaningful photos I've ever taken. So I don't know why I didn't think this was going to happen. But here we go. It's fine. It, it's We all get there. And I think it's better to talk about it than pretend like it's not going to happen. It's weird. Hi, guys. Michael here. So this is not going to be a happy story. My... Doug was diagnosed with cancer last year, and she's still okay, thankfully. But her condition worsens month by month. And this June, I realized that this is probably going to be her last summer with us. So next time I went home, I made sure to grab my medium format camera and my good film start for special occasions in order to preserve the memories of her uh, the best way I can, frankly. And these were without a doubt and will be the most meaningful photographs I took this summer. Cheers. It's good that you did that right away. Um, going back to Juniper, our thought when she got sick was, well, it was right at the beginning of COVID. So we knew that we were gonna be off work for a while. (laughs) Like, well, this is good in a way because we get to spend every day of the rest of her life with her. And it's gonna be, you know, maybe this summer, maybe she'll last the summer or maybe even to the fall, but it'll be every day that we'll be able to spend with her. And she died like a week, a week after she first got sick. And I was, I was, lucky in the sense of photos that I was able to get pictures of her before she died. And Michael, you are very lucky to do that too. So don't, don't wait on these. I don't want to bring everything down, but don't wait on these things. Um, Our friends and our animals aren't going to be here forever. We're not going to be here forever. And if, you know, especially with animals, if you can see things kind of going in that direction, don't, don't wait on it. Don't wait on it. It's very important. Mm-hmm. I agree. Hello, all through a lens. Marius, aka Kite Mare here. 
I'm still on the road for the summer. I'm traveling by, uh, along the Main and Rhine rivers here in Germany in an old camper van my brother built. It's an old VW T3 and it has a broken gearbox, so it's a bit tricky. <laughs> but my most favorite picture I took this year already is of my grandfather, who sadly passed away this spring. And it's a picture I've framed and hung up on my wall to remember to remember him by. But yeah, I'm just enjoying my the rest of my trip and hope you had a nice summer as well. Looking forward to all the new episodes. Bye bye. We we did have a, a good summer, I suppose. First, I'm obviously very sorry to hear about your grandfather. Um, again, wonderful that you get a photo of him before he passed. That's wonderful. And it's 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 wonderful that you are also traveling through all of that. And that's that's really good. And for those who aren't sure, I guess the American listeners, what a what a VW T3 is, we called them Vanagons over here. They are the 80s replacement for the bus. T3 is is the, the third version of the, the micro bus, which was the first was the splitty, the second was the bay window, and this is the Vanagon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would, they're really, as far as buses go, more reliable than the split or the bay. And I would love to travel in one of those, especially like along the Rhine in Germany. My people are from along the Rhine back in like from the 1500s. Mm-hmm. I eat watermelon all the way down to the Rhine. I think it's a different thing. So the gearbox, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm kind of stuck on the gearbox thing. Does that mean he has to like hit a hill and like punch it into second? Or is it just know. he's he grinding he, gears? He didn't elaborate. My bus, when I had a 1970 bus, uh, I don't know if the gearbox broke, but I didn't have third gear, mm. which is an easy, if you're going to lose one gear, third is the gear to lose, especially in a yeah. bus. But going yeah. up a hill, it was uh, it was starting off because you're going from fourth into third and then second uh, to go up the hill. And so going up the hill, it was a little challenging because I had to like really stress fourth gear and then really stress second gear. So it was it was odd. It was an you odd don't know how to downshift correctly. Wait, I didn't have third gear. I know, but just let go of the gas and drift it out a little bit. What's wrong <sighs> with you? I mean, you're literally going up a hill. It's going to slow down. Sorry. Yeah, well, I know. I know how to do it. It's just it wasn't always the easiest because third gear is weirdly handy. Yeah. If I if I could lose a gear, it'd be first. I fucking hate it. And reverse. I hate reverse. <laughs> okay. I I think those are both pretty important gears. Nah. Okay. And so those are the trilogy of 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 death. Uh, messages and we move on to life hello folks long time listener first time caller um slightly uh, drunk so this is going to take a second the most meaningful thing that i photographed this summer um i'm working on a couple projects to do with the environment and stuff like that and the fires in the pacific northwest so that feels pretty meaningful, but uh, my daughter was born in April, and I have not found more joy in photographing anything in my entire life than that little nugget of a human, absolute fucking gem. I love her. She's cute. It's true. I love it when people have babies. Their feeds just completely change right away, and it's just like, look at this thing I made. I made this. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. And you're going to fuck it up. 
<laughs> congratulations on the baby. That's awesome. Yes, congratulations. Um, okay, moving on. So I ended up getting a 250 millimeter lens for the RB67, and it was really great using a longer lens without looking like um, you're looking through a toilet paper tube. Anyway, and I found this blade of grass and I took a photo of it. And it, what's been nice is it was the photo in my head matched the actual photo that I got. And um, God, that is so important to just feel like you're actually getting to a place where you're achieving the results that you see in your mind. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Yeah. I love it, it that it, he just said blade of grass. Like, yep, I get it. Yeah. It, it's what you wanted and it, you got what you wanted. I, I it's rare for that to happen. Do you, you you have the 250, don't you? I do. Kiki yeah. uh sent me one. It has a little bit of um balsam Oh, balsam what, separation? A little bit. So it might be a a tiny bit soft on the soft okay. side. It's huge. <laughs> yeah. It's like a telescope. <laughs> <laughs> I have the 210 and that's pretty huge. Okay, our last one. And there is a bit of sadness, but I think a bit of victory here as well. Hello, Vanya and Eric. This is Liv, also sometimes known as Quiet Green on Instagram. Um, the most meaningful thing I photographed this summer was the demolition of the local McDonald's that my parents used to meet at to do weekly custody swaps for my sister and I back in elementary school. It was film therapy for sure. I used my Mamiya 645 Pro TL and a roll of Fuji Pro 400H. Thanks, y'all. Black Lives Matter. Hell yes. Hell yes to all yeah. of that. I know. Oh my gosh. That's, that must have felt really good. <laughs> you had parents swapping you out from time to time. Yeah, kind of. Not really. It was mostly my mom. I would stay okay. with my dad in the summers, but there was no like, like he wasn't like fighting for custody of me or anything no. like that. <laughs> he probably wouldn't know what to do with me. <laughs> Fair enough. I can't imagine like the, the, well, I want to say joy, but I don't, I don't really know the experience, but it's got to be like a, a bit of pleasure, pain kind of, of feeling with that. You know, I mean, it's a childhood memory and those are always I mean, not always good, obviously, but they're always, there's a special place for them, good or bad. Mm -hmm. um, that, yeah. That's, a, that's a, adjacent to nostalgia. I would say that in my case, I was fairly lucky. I mean, as much as my parents, obviously, they got divorced, so they weren't <laughs> made fit for each other. Uh, <laughs> they were they were pretty good with us. And mm -hmm. we all kind of get along like my my aunt my my mom's sister hangs out with my my dad she actually um hangs out with his new wife you know like we're all like really close and yeah. um we all get together for holidays it's not like it, we're a very mixed family so i got lucky with that um but i do remember um some of my really good friends going through this type of situation where, you know, they were like forced into court having to choose and, and it's not, it's not fair. <laughs> it's fucked up. No, not at all. And I could see, um, you know, even if it was fine and the trade-off was fine, um, the fact that they had to do it at like a restaurant and they, it couldn't just be like a normal thing, like, oh, your dad's here to pick you up is a real bummer. So yeah. I'm, 
I'm sorry about that. That really sucks. But seeing any sort of like demolition of a McDonald's is fucking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're not going to complain about that. For our take on this question, you'll have to listen to the next episode of Dev Party to see if we even have an answer to this question. Uh, We were just talking about this. I don't think either of us really know for sure what that would be. Yeah, I didn't. Well, I've only done one one small trip this this summer so far. So um, I'm going to say that I might have something soon, but. So for next main episode, what is the next question, Vanya? Apart from actual film photography. Oh, this is my question. (laughs) Sorry. This is your question. Yes. Apart. uh, Yes. Apart from film photography, what do you like best about film photography? Yes. And that's like, all the other stuff that comes with film photography, collecting stuff, developing stuff, showing yeah. the weird little ephemera that we've got. Yeah, what do you yeah. like best? It doesn't have to be material, but what do you like best about film photography that is not film photography? Well, it is film photography. It's just not shooting a picture. It has something to do with it in yes. some weird way, hopefully. Yes. Do you like to like open up the backs of your cameras and smell them? no shame if you do we're okay with that so call our answering machine and leave us a message and by call of course we mean go to instagram and leave us a voice message you can do that right now if you wanted to or wait till we remind you again next week sorry and if we like you very 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 much we will play it on the next episode Thank you so much, uh, Warner and Liv, for calling in for the first time. We got two new callers. That was awesome. Call some more. Absolutely. So, Vanya, I am back in the movie theaters watching movies. I'm doing about three a week at this point, and I am absolutely loving it. And one of the movies that I saw recently was Jordan Peele's Nope. We're going to be talking about it a little bit, but no spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, you can just keep, you know, listening to us. We're not going to give you any spoilers. It's a fun little movie. You haven't seen it yet, Vanya, and I really wish you would. I, 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 I wish you would. It's First of all, it's shot on 65 millimeter film, which or 70 millimeter film, IMAX film, which makes it, the, and it's the, the first horror movie to ever be shot on IMAX. And- Honestly, I don't really consider it a horror movie. I think it's more of a sci-fi movie, but whatever. It's a horror sci-fi, though not as horror as like Alien or something. Anyway, we like it and we're going to tell you a little bit about it. First, if you're a fan of 70 millimeter, 35 millimeter film or 8x10 Polaroids, you probably will enjoy this movie. One of the main themes of the film, without going into spoilers because I haven't seen it yet either is the links will go to to get the shot. What the film calls the impossible shot. The film is established upon what they see as the first impossible shot. And that is a series of photographs of a horse at full gallop that are generally accepted to be the first motion, motion picture when you put them all together. In the movie, the main characters run a ranch that raises horses for the use in the film industry. And their great, great, great grandfather was supposedly the black jockey riding the horse in the moving pictures. Of course, the part about the black jockey is fictionalized. But the series of photos, the first motion picture, is real. The photographer is known, as is the name of the horse. The name of the black jockey, however, is lost to history. 
which is honestly not even a little surprising. So all of this started in the early 1870s. A photographer known as, he went by a few names, but uh, known then as Edward Mybridge also went by the name Helios, just Helios. He gained some notoriety as one of the only landscape photographers who could properly expose both the land and the sky. So at the time, with slow orthochromatic dry plates, most photographers blew out the sky. But Mybridge wasn't just a photographer. He was also an inventor. He had invented what he called the sky screen. Essentially, it was a graduated ND filter that darkened the sky. And I use these in my photography. Yeah, Yeah. you do. This bit of fame caught the eye of Leland Stanford, former governor of California and railroad magnate. Stanford loved horses, but he noticed that all of his paintings of horses at full gallop just kind of seemed wrong. His speculation was that horses gallop differently in some way we could not see with our eyes. He wondered if the horses didn't go airborne with every step. So basically, maybe like one hoof on the ground, right? Yeah, there was some, a lot of paintings got it right and a lot of them got it wrong. Nobody really knew how horses galloped exactly because it was too fast for a human eye. Anyway, Stanford called upon Mybridge to photograph a horse at full gallop. But doing that at this time in history was impossible. This was the impossible shot. Mybridge later recalled, I therefore plainly told Mr. Stanford that such a thing had never been heard of, that photography had not yet arrived at such wonderful perfection as would enable it to depict a trotting horse. Stanford told him to give it a go anyway, so Mybridge invented a high-speed shutter that could reach one five-hundredth of a second. In May of 1872, he gave it a shot, and the results were just blurry. You could sort of make out maybe the horse got some air, but maybe not. It just wasn't very clear. Thinking a bit beyond this, Mybridge began engineering a way to set up a series of cameras to capture something in motion, one photo at a time. This would, at the very least, put the images in perspective, seeing one after the other, right? This project wasn't completed for six long years, but it wasn't because Mybridge was stuck on something He was busy with another important project, saving himself from a murder rap. Shortly before he met Stanford, Mybridge married a woman two decades younger than him. He traveled a lot, and she had an affair. In 1874, Mybridge found out about it, went to the guy's job, shot him in the chest, killing him, apologized for the mess, and went home. (laughs) At least he apologized for the mess. (laughs) I guess. He was soon arrested and pled temporary insanity at his trial. He was found innocent for that reason and was set free. And that was it. That was done. Killed a guy. I was temporarily insane. That's okay. Go on about your business. (laughs) I'm sorry. Would that be considered? It's that one thing when you like are love struck and you like lose your mind. Oh, like a crime of passion. Yeah, they probably pitched it as that. I didn't really look into the trial. I kind of wanted to, but I was a little pressed for time. But I would assume that, yeah, like the first person to plead temporary insanity, which was Daniel Sickles, uh, it was a crime of passion. Same, same, roughly the same thing. So, and Dan Sickles mm-hmm. went on to be like senator and civil war general and all of that. So it didn't really hurt his career. So you think that like, if my husband cheated on me 
back in 1874, and I, <laughs> I killed the other woman. Do you think I could plead insanity and get away with it? Well, it's, it's interesting, because women... <laughs> were often not. There it was very few women murderers and the ones that they did have, they, they did enjoy punishing. But there was also more allowance for a woman to be crazy because of things like hysteria, which they believed was the <laughs> womb floating around your body making you crazy. Um, mm. I, don't, I think they finally proved that, that wasn't true. So anyway, now that Mr. Myridge was finally able to again focus on this horse problem, he finally eventually sorted it out. He had experimented with higher speed emulsions and faster shutters. He kind of did the whole thing. He even had special lenses made by Dahlmeyer. So in June of 1878, his machine was ready. Essentially, he set up a dozen cameras in a line and devised a mechanism, which he described as something like the cylinder in a music box. The cylinder would fire each shutter in quick succession as the horse and jockey passed, tripping thin electric wires which triggered the shutters. Over the course of a few days and in front of the public and the press, Mybridge photographed four different horses, Abe Eddington, Mahomet, Sally Gardner, and Occident. The image used in the movie Nope was of the horse Annie G, but that didn't appear that it was one of the initial series of photographs. So I think the movie used in the movie wasn't the first one they did. It's it's all kind of muddled, and I don't maybe they didn't take great notes as far as horse names went. Taking the twelve photos, however, was not the final step. My bridge needed a way to exhibit them. This led to his invention of the. Zoopraxiscope. <laughs> is that how you say it? That is. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, it's Zoopraxiscope. Shut up. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So the Zoopraxiscope was a projector based upon the magic lantern. Rather than just one slide, for lack of a better word, he rigged up a spinning carousel that, when turned, gave the illusion of movement. The horse clip lasted two seconds, but when he showed it, it was the first motion picture exhibited. A few years later, Leland Stanford published a book called, this is a really catchy title, The Horse in Motion, as shown by Instantaneous Photography. It used, it used Mybridge's photos exclusively but didn't bother crediting him at all. In the appendix, Mybridge is listed simply as an employee out of many. Mybridge sued, but it was dismissed because the guy was Leland fucking Stanford. The good thing is it didn't really matter. Almost nobody bought the book. During the initial photography session, Mybridge had made a name for himself and the public associated these types of photos specifically with him. And so he had gone on to photograph motion through the rest of the 1880s and into the 1890s. Mybridge would go on to publish 100,000 individual images of animals and humans in motion. Before the 1880s was out, he published Animal Locomotion, an 11 volume series with 20,000 photographs of animals and naked humans. Almost all of them were naked humans. <laughs> he really enjoyed naked humans. You know what? Again, no shame. But it, it did seem almost like an excuse to photograph naked humans. I could be wrong, but the guy did seem a little shady here and there. So in the movie Nope, photographing a horse at full gallop 
was seen as the first impossible shot. Mybridge worked tirelessly for years, when he was available to do so, to make this impossible image possible. Without giving anything away, the movie Nope also explores this idea of the impossible shot and the lengths we might go and the dangers we might take upon ourselves and our loved ones to do it. I'm still thinking about naked people. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, right about here is where we would have our interview. And we don't have an interview. We usually don't. I think for the past three years. Wow, it's been three years that we've been doing this. We haven't mm-hmm. had interviews the first show back. It's a family show, as uh, I think it's Carol Burnett used to call it. When they wouldn't have a guest on their show, she'd say, oh, it's a family show. It's just her and, I don't know, Valley Harper or something. Okay, so instead of having a guest, we asked five close friends of the show to fill us in on what they've been up to for the summer. Maybe, you know, a couple of minutes here and there. So our first, our first surprise drop-in guest is Kate Miller-Wilson. Hi, this is Kate Miller-Wilson. I talked to you guys a few months ago about my summer plans. And like so many plans these days, they didn't go exactly like I thought. Things have a way of working out anyway, though. With the craziness involved in air travel lately, we decided to skip the East Coast trip we had planned and do a road trip to Colorado. My kids love dinosaurs and nature, and Colorado is definitely the state for those things. It's also an interesting place to photograph. Shooting large format on a family trip is always a challenge. You're lugging this giant camera with you, and everyone kind of tolerates it because it's just what you do but it takes up a lot of space in the trunk, and it's one more thing for everyone to carry in and out of hotel rooms. But when my kids are on vacation, they wanna see things and don't necessarily wanna hold still for pictures. My family is amazing and used to cumbersome photographic practices like mine, so I did get about 70 sheets of four by five, mostly of my husband and kids enjoying the mountains. I took the advice of my good friend Rebecca and developed on the road. It's more stuff to carry, but it's totally worth it. I just bring along a plastic bin with my chemicals and tank and a rod to hang the negatives. And then each night in the hotel room, I develop that day's photos. I don't love developing like a lot of film shooters do, but when you're sharing a hotel room with your kids every night, it's nice to have something to do that's just by yourself and for yourself. And the best part is that I didn't have to develop a giant stack of film when I got home. I think the most meaningful thing I photographed on our summer trip was a series of family portraits. I tried to take a whole bunch of them, which for me is probably about eight different shots. I used a long cable release and focused on everyone else, and then I ran into the frame to trigger the shutter. We did photos in front of waterfalls and on the edges of cliffs and in groves of trees and anywhere else I could convince everyone. My kids have been my favorite subjects for more than seven years and they don't really know how to smile for a traditional photo. We don't really get 
Christmas card photos or everyone looking at the camera and smiling. That's just not what they're used to. They're used to fine art type stuff, serious faces, and just really being unposed but holding still. I asked them to smile for these and the results are kind of weird. They do look happy though, and that matters to me. They were happy. We all were. And the photos, which may not be something I'll submit to a show or a magazine, are still some of my favorites that I've taken. I hope everyone else had a wonderful photographic summer too. And I'm really excited to hear what everybody's been up to. There is sort of a debate amongst travel photographers whether you develop on the road or mm -hmm. develop at home. And for some reason, I thought Kate developed on the road already, but I guess not. Hmm. I like having that pile of photos and those bags and bags of film to develop when I get home. It's a way for me to sort of reprocess what I've done. I could see that. I really need that. Even if like developing on the road would be more, in some ways more uh, practical. I mean, you could see if you're, if you have a light leak or something, you could, you could see that, you know, you'd be able to maybe tamp it down or maybe figure it out. Or if your shutter is slow, you'd be able to figure that out, you know? Um, so it's definitely, it definitely makes a lot of sense to develop on the road. Yeah. I mean, I think with the, um, the project you did a couple years ago with the Cat Labs film, that Oh, that would have been probably helpful. Yeah, that would have been very helpful. That is true. But I do really, really enjoy developing at home mm. and developing my travel pictures at home because I do, I get to relive my travels. I I don't develop in chronological order like the way I shot, but I do pick and choose dates. I have my rolls have a date on it and I'll look up to see what's on that roll or what's on those sheets. And I'll know ahead of time what's going to be appearing when I pull it out of the tank. And I love that. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about photography. Well, also you, it rains a lot. Or it's, it pisses a lot in the winter time and it kind of fills up your, your days with, with things to do. That is true. Also, Kate must have the most tolerant family in the world. The way she, the way she talks about like, oh, you know, they carry, they're, they're used to carrying Yeah, stuff I was like, my no one carries anything for me. What are you talking about? I know when she said that, I was like, what? They love her. Am I, maybe I need to ask her for some like recipes or something. Maybe I'm just not like feeding my family well enough because if I could like make something once a week that would have them help me carry stuff, I would probably do that. <laughs> Kate, thank you so much for, for sending it in. Uh, we really appreciate it. We, of course, we just heard from Kate. That was our last episode. And so it was neat kind of getting a follow-up, mm -hmm. like an immediate follow-up. Yeah, it was. A few episodes before that, we talked to Jess Hobbs. Mm. And of course, you, you hope... Yeah. Folks remember Jess Hobbs from YouTube. She does YouTube videos. And of course, she's a, a wonderful Instagram account. And a badass and she's podcaster as well. Yeah, she is. She has, She's on the Classic Camera Revival podcast. Mm -hmm. Well, here's a little bit from Jess. Hey, everyone. This is Jess Hobbs. I hope you've all been having a wonderful summer so far. Mine has been a little busy, we'll say. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I work on the family farm in the summers. And so... After putting in, you know, a few 16-hour days, that doesn't leave me much time to do a whole lot of photography uh, during the summer months. Um, 
so this year I decided that I was going to change that. I was going to find myself a small camera that I could carry around with me everywhere. So I started looking for maybe some point and shoots and stuff and realized that I actually already owned the perfect camera, an Olympus 35RC. So I loaded it up with a roll of Kodak Gold, which is one of my favorite films to shoot in the summer. I hooked it up to a carabiner so that I could attach it to my belt loop and just go all over the farm photographing my daily life and it was wonderful it was so much fun to do that and then that only lasted three days <laughs> um now it just kind of sits looking at me a little sadly uh but i did manage to shoot a whole roll through that camera so at least i've got some stuff i'm pretty sure it's mostly flowers but I at least have a roll from the summer. Um, I'm also a summer baby, so my birthday happened and my wonderful other half, Jody, bought me my absolute dream camera, a Roliflex 2.8e. I am already so in love with that camera. I am really enjoying shooting with it. I loaded it up right away and shot through an entire roll of FP4 on the first day. And I actually just scanned the negatives and they look fantastic. So I'm really, really excited about this. I'm thinking that this might help get me a little bit out of my photographic rut. Um, also, uh, YouTube decided to check in with me because I haven't posted anything in a while. So I, you know, was both a little sad at my lack of activity, but also very touched that YouTube thought of me. <laughs> uh, but I do promise to be getting back out there as soon as I possibly can. Because you know what? The colder weather is going to start to come in soon. Even though we have lots of summer ahead of us, I'm really looking forward to those fall days where you'll be able to find me hiking through the woods with my Mamiya RB. 67 and just shooting woodlands landscapes i'm really looking forward to those days those are my most creative ones anyways hope everyone has a great rest of the summer and maybe i'll see you around oh she has such a good like radio voice I love her voice. Absolutely, she does. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very energetic. Absolutely. <laughs> she's, oh my gosh, she has a lot of energy. Yeah, she does. <laughs> and farming, I mean, that's got to be, I, I mean, it sounds wonderful, but you know that's just like backbreaking work. And I'm impressed that she even attempted to even just pull out a little camera. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Try that with the RB, Jess. Try, try doing that with the RB. Just strap that one to no. you. No. I would like to see pictures with the compact if she could somehow like fit it in, in like her pocket and photograph the things that people don't know about farming. Like when you get to like dig up creepy bugs and animals and your fingernails are completely covered in dirt. And yeah, Jess, when you dig up those creepy animals, let us know. Take a picture of them. Sorry. So thank you, Jess, for calling in. Uh, let's move on to... Now, she was never a guest, though I have a feeling she will be in the future. It is Ariella. Hi, everyone. This is Ariella, or as Eric likes to say my name, Ariella. I am recording this from London Gatwick Airport. I'm so honored and happy to tell you guys all about my photographic summer. It's been very busy. I kept myself incredibly busy. And that's just how I roll, but I've jam-packed it with a lot of things and projects. And now that summer's coming to an end, I'm actually 
a little sad. I just came back from Toronto from a 14-hour layover, and I do not recommend doing a back-to-back red-eye flight. Basically, a two-day journey to get across the Atlantic from the West Coast. It's been fun. Um, I just spent the entire day yesterday in Toronto um, doing a lot of street photography, and it was hot. I was by the waterfront, and there were so many people, and I've had so much fun just photographing a new place. A new place that I've been to before. I'm, I'm doing this trip again because this was the last trip I did just before the pandemic, the exact same trip. I did a long layover in Toronto, then I headed to London for two weeks and I came back and then borders started to close. But this trip sort of feels a little bit of a, a full circle. I'm very excited to see what sort of images come out out of it. Um, where do I even begin? So in June, let's just say summer starts in June, right? So I gave myself a 4x5 crash course. I, I, I practiced a lot for two weeks and I just kind of jumped into it, learned to dance and got used to the whole setup and takedown and taking photos and of course made a lot of mistakes. Um, and then I also joined a group exhibit, um, my local street photography club. We call ourselves the Vancouver Street Photography Collective. We organized and um, hosted a show in June, which was also fun. It's a great way to share your work with, with the public and your local community. So it's always great. And then I did a little travel spree where I did four trips back to back in three weeks, which again, if you have the travel bug, is quite fun to do, but otherwise it's very exhausting. So my first trip, I went to Chase, BC, which is a small town in the interior of British Columbia in Canada, a population of 2,300 people. It's right next to a big lake, a little shoe swap and the railway so there's lots of cargo trains that pass by on a regular basis and a lot of the residents actually stop noticing it after some time and that's how you can tell you're you're a local and of course i was fascinated by this and practiced taking train photos with the 4x5 and as an immigrant this is a very this was a very interesting experience and one that I will never forget because I almost got left to a bus. Um, my next trip after that was to Gambier Island, which is a small island off the Sunshine Coast. It's only accessible by ferry and a water taxi unless you have a, your own boat, which I do not have. Lots of forest and I did a little bit of hiking there. Um, there I found a lot of abandoned things. Um, off the path so maybe one day I'll share the images from this trip I also slept in a yurt and I tried to photograph things at night or like during the very early hours of the day before sunrise so I think like twilight is such an amazing time to photograph because it's hard but also very rewarding also like no people which a lot of us I think would prefer unless you do street photography too. Um, My third trip was back to Saskatoon, so I returned to Saskatoon after a year. And so the second time around definitely felt very different. And just before I left, I also finished my zine on Saskatoon. So right now, I'm actually just looking for a good printer. And I just want to get it printed like tomorrow. (laughs) 
so I'm still waiting on that. I also shot a lot of more black and white stuff. It feels weird and refreshing coming back also as like a different person and a different photographer to some place that you're obviously very fond of and attached to. And the last place that I went to was Powell River, so it's another um, town by the Sunshine Coast. And to get there is about a nine hour journey. So I have to take two ferries and roughly like a four hour drive. It's a beautiful town with lots of history. There is a big um, paper mill and that's kind of how the town was built. It was built around the paper mill and right next to the water. So like all the houses there have this gorgeous view of the ocean or the bay I don't know which body of water it is sorry um, I took my 4x5 there and on my way home I rode the seaplane uh, because on a seaplane they don't do any x-rays so there you go very perfect for sheet film and so I'm now here in London for two weeks and I'm gonna shoot a lot more stuff mostly probably street photography and I'm also trying to meet a couple photo friends here and just have fun and cap off a summer of travel this year that's what I really wanted to try and do just go out there as much as I can and all these experiences have been incredibly amazing and on top of that like I even found a studio so which really will let me like finish a lot of these um, projects a lot better and faster and just feel more productive and like not have to have all my photo and camera supplies bombard me at home anyway um, this has been a very long message thanks for listening and I can't wait here I can't wait to hear about everyone else's um, photographic summer cheers from London bye <laughs> She's so busy. I know I'm like I did I did one trip so far <laughs> it I, the one trip that caught my eye wasn't the one to the island or to the coast. It was the one where she just went to a small town and parked herself there. And I guess she didn't, she didn't say how long she was there, but stayed there a little bit and just photographed. Mm -hmm. I like that. It reminds me of what Terry Evans did with, there's a town in, in Kansas that she would do that with. Something green, Manford, Manford Green, something like that. And I've always thought that was such a neat idea. And it, and it harkens back to our first episode with the uh, homeboy saying that, you know, in order to properly photograph a place, you must live there for a year. Yeah. Uh, which is is silly. But the idea that to know a place first isn't, that's a good idea. And getting to know a place is a lot easier if you're staying there overnight a couple of nights mm -hmm. and you, you do get a, a chance to really, to, to know it in a way. I don't know. I, I like that idea. I, I'd like to try that maybe next year. I'm looking for something to do differently next year. And maybe that would be, uh, maybe that would be something. I think it's easy to go to places that we've been before, but it's always nice to kind of switch it up and do something different. Get yourself out of um, your element. Try something new. I think she, she did a bit of both. And, uh, I, and she's doing, I guess right now as we're recording, she's in London, mm -hmm. uh, kind of reliving a trip she, she did right before COVID. We haven't had her on as a guest, but she is a wonderful follow on Instagram. 
And she's always on the move. She's always doing something. And definitely somebody, especially with her zine coming out on Saskatoon, uh, maybe the only zine on Saskatoon? Probably. Yeah, someone you really need to, to follow. And she is Ariella on Instagram. That is eight A's at the end. And our next is Nick Gaylord. Take it away, Nick. Hey, how's it going, y'all? It's Nick here, Count Snackula on Instagram. And uh, happy International Cat Day. And thanks to Eric and Vanya for inviting me to share some stories from my photographic summer. I think the big one for me is that for maybe the first time this year, I can honestly say I took too many pictures. Uh, Mostly in a span of two weeks back in May, when I had the opportunity to uh, take a really wonderful trip to the North Atlantic where I visited Iceland and the Faroe Islands, and I even got to meet up and hang out with Charlie of casual science fame for a couple of days, and that was every bit as fun as you would imagine it to be. Anyway, you know, I was actually pretty proud of myself while I was over there for not spending excessive time looking through the viewfinder and actually putting my camera down a fair amount and allowing myself just to appreciate being there, um, which was really wonderful. But It's all relative, I guess, because I still managed to come home with like three dozen rolls of film and uh, north of a thousand digital images on top of that. And on the one hand, I have to say, I'm pretty happy with the stuff I'm getting, and uh, I'm excited to start sharing some of it. On the other hand, it's a bit of an albatross. I mean, I've still got two rolls from that trip that I haven't processed, and they're just kind of sitting on the shelf, mocking me. Um, I've got, shame to admit it, a pile of negatives that I've scanned and still haven't sleeved. And then I've got a whole bunch of scans that I haven't edited and dealt with like that, you know? So um, it's a good body of work, and I'm kind of plowing through it, but uh, not always with relish. And I do feel like I could have probably come back with, you know, quite a bit less and still been very happy with what I had. So maybe there's a lesson in moderation there. You know, even though I know some people listening to this are going to say, ah, three dozen rolls of film over two weeks, that sounds like moderation to me. And okay, fine, fair, you know, I hear that too. But nonetheless, uh, I could do with being a little bit more sparing for a while coming up. Um, It burned me out a little bit, honestly, you know, and I've still been photographing since I've been back, but, uh, you know, at a much slower rate than even, you know, before I took the trip. So, uh, you know, kind of having to just settle back into it a little bit. Um, But I'm grateful for the images I'm getting back here, too. Time spent with friends and, you know, summertime on the coast is beautiful. And it's looking somewhere between possible and likely that I might not be living where I'm currently living for a whole lot longer. And, you know, if that turns out to be the case, well, even thinking about that being the case, you know, it kind of gives you a little bit of a sense of preemptive nostalgia. And, uh you know, kind of shapes the way that you, you know, look at your surroundings. And, uh, you know, photography is really great for that for me as well, because it, you know, helps me stay attentive to all of the little bits of ephemera and unassuming details that, you know, make up the sense of place where I currently am. Give me a sense that there's little bits of things that I can cling to, you know, um, and assign meaning to, which I'm grateful for. Um, So, yeah. You know, those are the those are kind of the two big, um, you know, kind of photographic themes for my summer. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I haven't been sharing anything from since the trip really too much on Instagram yet. 
but I am kind of sharing bits and pieces here and there in a more haphazard way over on Granary, which I imagine a lot of folks have heard about by this point, and you know, it does seem cool, um, and you know, the community seems appreciative of it, and uh, I'm curious to kind of see where that platform goes. Uh, but uh, yeah, either way, um, I do think I've got some pretty good stuff coming up that I'm excited to share, even if I will never manage to share all of it broadly. Um, I'm still grateful to have it. And, uh, you know, so photography's been a big part of my summer on both the, you know, kind of grandiose and relatively more humble scales, and, uh, and I'm grateful. I hope everybody else had an all right summer as well. And, uh, yeah, thanks again for having me, and uh, hope to talk sometime soon. Vanya, how do you deal with shooting too many photos on the trip, on, a, on like, an excursion of some kind? I don't. Okay. You never, you never had that feeling like, oh my God, I have too many photos to develop. I get tired too easily. I won't shoot. I won't shoot enough. So yeah, sorry. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Like for a job when I was, I guess when I was doing a job and I had like 10 or 11 roles to to develop, that was daunting just because you have to get through it. And I was, I was like on a kind of like a timeline as far as getting things done. As far as just like fun stuff, I don't like to waste film. I don't think I do waste film. Maybe with just as time goes on and how expensive it is, it's it's kind of slowed me down a little bit. Oh, I totally get that. I tried to shoot less uh, this summer. I, I don't think I did. I shot more sheets and about the same amount of rolls. But I I do have a bit of a hint that keeps me from getting backed up with you know like oh he had he had, he had too many rolls uh, developed, but not scanned, and too many scanned, but not sleeved. What I do is first, I don't care how long it takes me. Don't care, I'm under no deadline. I have nobody pressuring me to do this. Second, I develop two rolls at a time or eight sheets at a time, and that's it. I develop them, let them dry, scan them, sleeve them, done. And then I go back and I can develop more. Maybe I'll do two more that day, but I won't start those until the first batch completely done. Now, there are some emulsions like Ilford Pan F that you need to develop pretty close to right away. So do those first. But most of the other ones, they can they can hang in there for a few months. It's not a big deal. If you don't have something to post, develop stuff that you know that's gonna be good and uh, do those first. But other than that, take your time, slow and steady, wins the race. <laughs> and for our last, we have the wonderful Kat Swansea. So let's hear a little bit from Kat. Hi, Eric and Banya. It's Kat Swansea down here in Texas. We have almost made it to the end of summer. <laughs> I, I say that, but it'll probably still be summer in Texas until Thanksgiving, at least. Anyway, wanted to share some fun projects that I've been working on. It has really been a slow summer for me. Uh, most summers, I'm out on the road taking lots and lots of photos. Probably 75% of my photos for the year come during the summer months, but We have been having uh, a record heat wave down here in Texas, the hottest summer ever recorded. So between the heat and the gas prices, I have been pretty stationary. Uh, But it's it's given me an opportunity to work on my first ever hardcover book, which I'm very excited about. Um, It's coming out later this year, and it'll be called Texas Textures, inspired by one of my favorite Guy Clark songs. Um, But yeah, initially when I started on this project, I thought it was going to be 
hundred photographs and, you know, I'd call it good, but it's actually turned into like 150 to 200 photos. So I've been working on trying to whittle that down a bit, but I also wanted this project to be different than anything that you could find on my website or my blog or, you know, Instagram and Twitter. So I have been writing a lot for this book, which is also very unusual for me. I'll be including some tales from the road, tidbits and anecdotes, and some stories about people that I have met along the way. So very excited to get this book out into the world and just see what everybody thinks about it. Um, I feel really good about it. And it's it's been honestly kind of a dream to do something like this since I was a kid. And I found a Dennis Stock book at Half Price Books in Austin, Texas. I think I was like 13. And I just remember thinking, wow, like I really want to do that someday. So um, yeah, it's kind of... Uh, kind of been a nice project to work on that's kept me indoors. Uh, but other than that, I am about to hit the road for the first time this summer, uh, mostly for vacation, but of course I'm taking the cameras. Can't leave those behind. But I'm going to head down to Marathon in far west Texas for a songwriters festival and then take the long way there and back, obviously. Going to swing through some small towns and find some Matt Tumlinson murals that are kind of hidden out there in the desert of west Texas. So going to take the Mamiya for its first spin um, through the Texas desert. Obviously, I have used the Mamiya before. But anyway, uh, I'm really excited for the new season and uh, can't wait to catch up with you guys and hear what you guys have been up to. All right. Keep in touch. Bye. I am so looking forward to hearing more about the book. So exciting. Oh, yeah. Especially, I didn't realize she was in being inspired by a Guy Clark song, though I guess every Texan, in a way, is inspired by a Guy Clark song. Even non-Texans, I'm very inspired by them. I love her work so much. It's it's just some wonderful Texas. It's very Texas to me. And I'm glad that Kat was able to share a little bit of that with us. Yeah, I think I'm very, I'm on Kat's side as far as my summer travels go. I... I haven't really started my summer yet. It's about to begin soon. That's true. Yeah, that is true. And I think a lot of that has to do with just like the the area that we both kind of live in, where it is like extremely hot and the places I want to go are extremely hot. So weather isn't really like a variable as far as like pushing it back to September, October. It just it's a better time to travel anyways. Summer sometimes can be rough and busy and insane. I feel her. I'm on that same, same bit. Well, that is our uh, little interview segment. Big, huge, mega thanks to Kate, Jess, Ariella, Nick, and Kat. We really appreciate you coming through for us. It means a lot when we ask friends and former guests to come back in and and give us a little update. It means a lot to us. We really do appreciate it. Hopefully we'll hear from more people as time goes on too. That would be nice. All through July, Eric kept a journal of his travels, his highs and lows, his photography antics and his photographic failures. It's all there, basically. And so here is a selection from the journals, day nine, the story of Chimney Rock, a cautionary tale. 
I never meant to fall in love with the Terry Badlands of Montana. Before discovering the photography of Evelyn Cameron, I'd never even heard of them. The plan was to drive north to the upper right corner of the state, turn east, and then finally move into North Dakota. But the draw of the Badlands was just too much. And in the end, the Badlands were almost too much for me. Now, as an aside, Vanya, you you and I, we, we dipped our little toes into the Badlands last year. Yeah, it was fucking hot. <laughs> and you, I didn't shoot very much. I was too hot. It was really hot. And it was really hot again this year. But we went over the train bridge, which I'll talk about in a second. So here we go. As I drove between Miles City and Terry, Montana on I-94, I saw the most amazing morning light among the peaks and spires across the Yellowstone River. The low clouds shrouded much of it, but the sun peered through and the bright rocks dazzled through the haze and the fog. I passed through the town of Terry, stopping just beyond. I debated, maybe a little bit too long before turning around, heading west along the old Milwaukee Road, to the terrifying 1907 railroad bridge, which I slowly crossed to gain access to the Calypso Trail and the Terry Badlands proper. Now, you've taken the bridge. Yeah, I was going to say, is that the same bridge you're talking about? Same Why bridge. is it scary? Why is it scary? Okay, so you can look it up on, on YouTube, but when you're driving across it, it is literally a railroad bridge with the rails removed so you have the ties with maybe, what, seven inches in between them? And yeah. metal, mesh, and some plates over where your tires go. Much yeah. of that is gone or very loose and loud. It is a... It's probably one of the scariest bridges to drive across, though I think it's safe. Yeah, I would say the... The suspension bridge that made lots of noise was scarier for me, but I do remember walking across it and the cracks between the big ties, railroad ties are pretty big and you could definitely like, you know, fall, like not all the way down, but at least your whole foot, you know, can slide down and that would, that would not be fun. By the swollen river, I could tell that the area was hit with rains and I suspected that I couldn't get far on this old crumbling road, the Calypso Trail. What I wanted to see more than anything, what I wanted to photograph was Chimney Rock, a tall spire of a rock formation photographed several times by Evelyn Cameron herself. A few years ago, I had driven to Chimney Rock. Uh, The road, it was bad, but it was manageable. This year, I wasn't so sure I could make it, but I had to find out. My suspicions were unfortunately right. After about a mile or so of the Calypso Trail, I was met with a long, muddy morass, thick and impassable. I got out of the car and tested the mud with my foot, nearly losing a shoe in this little experiment. (laughs) For, For a moment, I stopped and tried to remember just how far away Chimney Rock was from this spot. A mile? Just around the bend? Maybe the next bend? I wasn't sure but I knew it wasn't more than like a bit of a stroll. Couldn't I just walk it? So after all, even if it were like in bad condition for driving, it was still a road and it should just be an easy hike. Not even a hike, a road walk, a short morning walk. The sun was hardly up. The air was cool, maybe 70 degrees. I could have this all taken care of in an hour. I quickly gathered my four x five camera, my tripod, my film holders, and the RB67, you know, wonderful cameras for a little stroll. 
Right. Yeah, really. And water and a snack. Though I didn't really figure I'd need much of either. The road beyond where I parked, um, the mud was dry and it was really drivable in a lot of places. And for a while I thought, well, it's just that little muddy morass. I could just go the rest of the way. In others, though, it was completely washed out, requiring me essentially to climb into eroded miniature canyons. Nothing could drive this without like a front loader of fill for assistance. From memory of a few years before, I recalled there was a steep hill with a couple of switchbacks immediately before reaching Chimney Rock. With each turn, I expected to see that hill, but after each turn was just another turn. Chimney Rock turned out to be much farther away than I expected, more than double. Our memories suck. (laughs) The road, it wore me down a bit. And by the time I reached the hill, the sun was not so low. The suspected mile or so turned into two miles of nearly flat, fully exposed walking with a half mile of steep ascent. This ascent is a 400 foot climb to the top to where the formation first comes into view. By the middle of the climb, I was exhausted. I had less than a half mile to go and now my pack was off and I was in the shade, which was becoming ever more of a rare commodity out there. But soon I was fully rested and I made it to the top and there it was, chimney rock. And like, there are still some low hanging clouds, some like fog, but it was still illuminated bright and white against the dark sky. I rested a little bit more and then I began scouting around for like the best photos. I shot three, like three four by five photos, which takes a little while, you know? Three photos before I realized that I had forgotten the Antsco film from 1964 back in the car. Oh no. Yeah, the whole trip I was doing this expired Antsco film project and I wanted to shoot Chimney Rock. That was like one of the things I really, really wanted to do. But for now, I was resigned to the idea that that's, not going to happen. And that's okay. These things happen, or in this case, don't happen on trips. But soon another thought crept in. Uh, Though I needed a short rest, this wasn't really a difficult hike. It certainly wasn't the Imnaha Canyon hike from the week before, and it wasn't the Bears Ears hike from a few years before that. This was a two and a half miles of mostly a road walk. It was easy. What was stopping me from going back to the car, getting the Ansco film? I could even drop off the extra lenses and the RB67 to lighten the load. I could also bring along a couple of dry glass plates like the ones Evelyn Cameron used in the 1800s. I did want to mention, just because while you are telling the story, it is intense, all the things that you're carrying, but I still can't get my, like, I can't get it out of my head. Evelyn Cameron wearing a long wool skirt with knickers and boots and a high collar shirt buttoned all the way up to her neck and her all the way down to her wrists and then a little coat and then a bow tie and a hat and a horse and a saddle and her graflex which was a five by seven (laughs) well see the big difference between evelyn cameron and myself is that she was smart and she went in the (laughs) spring and in the fall and and in the winter as well So there weren't a lot of days like this. There's no reason at all for somebody local to go into the Badlands. In the summertime. In the summertime. But that 
not really on my mind. I wanted, I, I talked myself into doing another hike. So for most of the walk back, the sun was behind a few clouds. Even better, it was mostly downhill. And when I got back to the car, I was a little hot, maybe a little tired, but with some rest, a snack, and as much water as I could drink, I was soon ready to do it all over again. And so I started the return trip around 11 a.m. The sun was high. The clouds were now mostly gone. <laughs> About a mile into it, the tired and weariness returned. I could still see the car behind me. I said, was this really a good idea? My feet were burning, kind of like that burning you get right before you get blisters, that mm -hmm. burning. And you know what that burning is. And the pack, it was lighter, but it was also kind of heavier too. When you're tired, everything's heavy. Exactly. So I rested frequently. Uh, first at the one mile mark, then at 1.3, and at 1.5, <laughs> and at 1.75, and then again at two at the base of the hill. Each stop was longer, and each stop I had my pack off. <laughs> the climb, the climb, which I then started, had my entire body screaming. Shade was all but gone. And so at the top, almost the top, there's a cut in the road where if I pressed my body against the, the wall of it, which was really nice and cool, I would get the last sliver of shade on the road. <laughs> and I stood there against it for 10 minutes, just panting. Like a lizard. I was like a lizard, exactly. A panting lizard. But finally, when I peeled myself away from the wall, there was Chimney Rock again. <laughs> now less illuminated, but still beautiful. I was spent. I could do absolutely nothing but toss off my pack and curl up under the shade of a somewhat large-ish sagebush. I laid down with my body like encircling the trunk, kind of like a Christmas tree like, skirt. That was me, mm -hmm. except my legs, they stuck out a little bit and the sun hit them. And so I covered them up with the focusing cloth that you got me for my birthday or Christmas. It has the white fabric on it. Yeah. Perfect for covering your legs. That has armholes, right? It, it does have armholes. So it's kind of like, you know, when you're a kid and you like put your sweater on your legs. It was, it was quite, it was just more of a blanket. I didn't, oh, okay. I didn't fully, I really could barely move. So laying down, all curled up, I reached over to my pack and I pulled my water close to me unscrewed the cap and drank it a little bit, careful not to spill any. I had more than enough for the hike, but I really wasn't taking chances. The temperatures now were in the mid nineties and would be soon climbing to a hundred. I looked at my pack where my cameras were still stowed, camera, I guess at this case, were still stowed. And I couldn't imagine ever having enough energy to pull it out again. I couldn't move. How could I ever move? How could I stand up? Nothing was ever going to work again. I'm going to die here. I was just exhausted, more exhausted than I had ever been before in my life. Probably not true, but very, very exhausted. Though I had tried to fight it for a while with visions of that near fatal hike in Utah in my head, I dozed for about 15 minutes. In all, hmm. I was wrapped around that gallant sage bush for about a half an hour. <laughs> when I woke, something strange had happened. I was able to gather the strength to sit up. I sat up. It was almost easy. Hmm. With a weak pull, I wrestled my tripod free and then the camera 
And soon the Shamani was fastened to the tripod and I was wearily on my little baby deer knees, trying to focus through the ground glass. Moving much more than this, it really wasn't an option I felt was available to me at the time. But after the first photo, it just was. Like the photography rejuvenated me, sort of. I didn't feel the tired as much. I mean, I couldn't run a marathon, but that little nap was enough for me. I grabbed some water. I grabbed my camera and the tripod, some film, the Ansco stuff, walked around to shoot some more images of Chimney Rock. I remember feeling like that in Kansas. I think it was the Badlands where we were, where it was really hot. Yes, there is, yeah, we were by Castle Rock Badlands, yes. There was a special kind of hot that happens in Badlands because mm-hmm. all of yeah. that light and heat is reflected back at you because the ground is very light and color. Yeah, we were with Anne, mm-hmm. and I remember we just all separated and yeah. just left each other because we knew where the van was. It was yeah, fine. It was all, there. all I did was find shade, and I sat down in the shade <laughs> with my RB, and I was like, mm, I'm going to just sit here for a while and decide what I'm going to do. And then I kind of looked up and saw, like, some um, of those little like mud bird nests. Oh yeah, that were really neat. So I took some pictures. I actually really liked the photos I ended up taking. Mm-hmm. But I sat there for quite some time, and it was kind of nice because it limited. Like I was like, I'm not gonna be walking anywhere else. I'm gonna just hang out right here, um, and it kind of made me look at my space very intricate. Like very intricately it, it does every single crevice everything i stared at like what is interesting here since i'm not planning on hiking anymore yeah and i felt the same way with i can still picture like the sage bush and the rock next to it so what i that was kind of my little headquarters that i, I based myself i get my backpack there and i just carried everything by hand and i moved to the second location a different location for the first ansco shot and then when i took the second shot it was on a short walk back to this little headquarters area And during that second shot, the exhaustion returned and I threw myself down onto the ground to rest. After about five minutes, I tried to stand up, but something sharp was biting my backside. I looked around to find out that I had sat fully upon a cactus (laughs) and the prickly thorns, scores of them, were still sticking in my ass. (laughs) I haven't heard this story, by the way, you guys. This the is next, amazing. The next 10 minutes. Were, I can imagine you just like, fuck! Oh, I was not happy. And I was like, what do I just die here now, I guess. I could just hear your echoing. Like, fuck, yes. fuck, fuck. The next 10 minutes were spent bare-ass to the world, plucking out all of the thorns that I could manage. Oh, no. This was painful. I had no idea that pulling cactus thorns out of your ass Oh, my God. It's the worst. It's like barbed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They were barbed. It was painful, but ultimately cooling because of the unexpected air conditioning and all. My, oh, okay. Gotcha. My ass was out. It still probably wasn't worth it. I mean, I, I could have just dropped trowel without the whole cactus situation. And I'm going to remember that for next time. When you're hot, when you're yeah. hiking, just drop your pants. It's fine. <laughs> and after that ordeal, I mean, seriously, like literally 10 minutes of nothing but like swearing and pulling thorns out of my ass. <laughs> 
and like trying to reach over there and like get a good grip and yeah, yeah and they weren't just like awful. you have like the long thorns like the inch long thorns but you also have those tiny little like quarter inch ones or the thin ones that don't feel like anything yep. but they're there yep. yeah those are the worst I was not happy about this so I laid down again after the bulk of the thorns were removed I still removed some later that night oh god it was not fun so I and there was some of my shorts as well so I had to pull those out. <laughs> so I could feel the ground below me. It was cool, but it was warming under the afternoon sun. Resting for another 15 minutes, I was ready for the second descent, the two and a half mile trudge back to the car. It was 1.30 p.m. and closing in on 100 degrees Fahrenheit. My feet were still burning, and it was more of a stagger than a walk. I mean, it was like my backpack was like half <laughs> hanging off of me. But before leaving the summit, I had this wonderful idea. I arranged my tripod in my backpack so that the legs would be sticking up. And I tied the focusing cloth to it best I could and held the other part with my hands out. And I gave myself a little bit of shade. The only shade at that point in the Badlands. That's hilarious. Also, I just like, in my mind, I'm like, God, there's got to be like a rancher that like lives close, like nearby. And he's just like looking through his binoculars like, what the fuck thank, is that? Thank God. I don't think there was anybody within miles of me. <laughs> so about a mile into the second walk back, after easily making my way down the hill, I'm not sure why I wrote easily here. It was not easy. The slog set in. It was relatively so. But after about a mile, I saw a small copse of juniper trees along a rock face. But because of the rains the night before, the ground was damp and muddy. But again, I was overheating and I needed to rest. So I first checked for cacti. Nice. Yep. That lesson learned. And then I laid myself down in the mud, in the shade of the juniper trees, and felt the most beautiful coolness all over my body. <laughs> With my shirt off and the legs of my shorts pulled up real high. Not sure why, it's just drop trowel there too. The entire back of my body was coated in this miracle cooling Montana mud. It was rejuvenating. I vowed to lay there until I felt fully perfect again, or until nightfall, whichever came first. See, I had seen large cat prints in the mud on the way up, and I wanted to avoid any such encounters on the way down. Gotcha. About a half an hour later, my determination returned, and I was back on the Calypso Trail, my focusing cloth, now more of a hat than a parasol. <laughs> Did you, like, wrap it up, dude? I, I mean, this is, like, well, full... It, uh, survivor man now <laughs> it was on my head and then i was holding it out beyond me to provide myself with a little bit of shade <sighs> you see i have a black goth uh parasol in my car it's from like the 20s it has like little like white lace but it would have been perfect well i'm planning on getting like an actual hiking parasol that's my next purchase for hiking so as i walked the mud dried and crackled off of my body. Nice. And then I... People pay good money for that. They do. And they should. <laughs> On the way down, I saw what appeared to be a white vehicle, which was mine, 
And it was like, oh, it's not that far. It's not that far. It's not that far. I got closer and closer until I realized that's not my car. That's somebody else's big dumb truck. Oh, shit. Like, I have another fucking mile to go. <laughs> no, that sucks. It was so bad. It was like I wanted to die. And, it, and there was a little bit of shade, but I didn't want to like curl up under his truck. because <laughs> I didn't want to fall asleep underneath yeah. it or something. And he's like, what the hell? Nobody thinks to check for humans <laughs> under your truck. Mm-mm. So. Damn varmints. <laughs> other than that, it was a very uneventful mile and a half or whatever back to the car. So this impromptu 10-mile hike with about another mile or so of poking around, it was finally over. I refilled my water, I drank, and then refilled my water again. I had brought enough water, which was nice, and enough snacks, which is also nice, and thanks to the return hike, enough film. Good. It was essentially a success. However, if I would have done a quick inventory of the film that I was bringing on the first hike, I would have realized that I didn't pack the, the fucking film that I wanted to pack and it would yeah. have given me no reason at all to risk an exhausted extra five miles in the high 90s heat. But still, I guess it makes for a good enough story or at least oh my God. a story. I have so many great pictures in my head now. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me so happy. I don't know why either. And I didn't it's almost so die. Funny. It's so funny. It was nothing like drastic or anything like that. No, but if I was there, like... I know myself like you would not see me because I would just be like you. I would only you would only see me if I open my eyes because I would be just covered in mud because I do not like to be hot. And if there's no water, I freak out. Well, there was no water at all. But I'm glad yeah. I did it. I wish the road would no, have been good I enough. No, I am too. Yeah. I wish the road would have been good enough to take me to Chimney Rock where, you know, the cars can't go. The legs generally can and of course, the most important lesson is when you're in the desert, watch where you're sitting. Yeah, watch out for snakes and cactus. That is true. So, you know the trope that we hear that when you're when you're out of water in the desert and you're lost in the desert, you can cut open a cactus drink your pee. and drink oh. the water out of a cactus. Yes. You know that that's not true. Not only is that not true, most most cacti are toxic to humans. We cannot drink them or anything like that. Also, there's not a lot of water in a cactus, contrary to popular belief. So do not do that. Uh, if you are lost in the desert, like truly lost in the desert, if somebody knows where you are, stay put. If nobody knows where you are, pick a direction, walk in it, and hope for the best. That's, that's it. Uh, you more than likely will die. Good to know. Over the summer, we have received a number of zines, quite a number of zines. I would even say a large number of zines. And it's wonderful. So we are doing our best to work through them and taking our time with them and all of that. We'll be doing roughly two an episode. So the first one we have for you, we both got actually, but yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about that. I love when that happens. Me too. It is. Yes. What is it, Vanya? Black Sky, volume one okay. by Josh from Austin. Yes. He's at Noise Fights on IG. That's right, Josh Womack. Yes. There's something 
inviting about the texture of the cover. I forgot about these like soft touch soft covers. Touch it's yeah. been a minute since I've seen one. Mm-hmm. So when I was like, I've, I've had it on my desk for a couple weeks and I flip through it occasionally when I don't want to work anymore, which is nice. <laughs> so thank you so much, Josh, for distracting me. Um, it's just texture sometimes matters and it was soft and slick and I haven't, I haven't made a zine with, with that type of cover. Uh, but I want to, it like, I want to pull it off. Josh definitely pulls it off. Yeah. I don't know if I can, but it's amazing. Yeah. His zine is perfect bound. And I think that might be the key because I've done one where it's saddle stitch and I don't care for it, but I do like this. So I think being perfect bound is important. Yes. So yeah, I, I definitely, I had some inspiration to, to give it a shot in the future. I don't think it's anyone's intention to make a zine that inspires me (laughs) per se, (laughs) or (laughs) like the viewer intentionally, but I do seem to favor, uh, the books or, and the zines that I get, obviously when I get, it's exciting when I'm inspired by, by someone else's work. It makes me really happy. So thank you for sending it to me. So let's get into it. Uh, black sky is a seven by seven black and white zine. And it has that glorious soft touch cover that I mentioned within its pages. You'll find an assortment of films and yes, I'm going to name them HP five, FP4, Tmax 100, Triax 320, and FOMA 400. These are all emulsions that I've used we, very regularly. Yeah, we, we like these ones. Yeah. These, are, these are good emulsions. So he chose three cameras to work with, and you might enjoy these as well, oh, because it is the Chamonix. Check. <laughs> Crown Graphic. Check. And the RB67. Obviously, check. The greatest medium format camera ever made. (laughs) So quite the artillery. And especially since all the photographs were taken on the road, um, Josh, you kind of came to the right place as far as like getting reviewed. Eric wanted to review this and I was like, no, I'm reviewing it. Sorry. How many of the places do you recognize? Because I recognize a lot of these places. I do. It's really exciting. It's it's exciting because I am so used to seeing your work, which is great and I love it. I'm not saying I, I hate it or anything, but seeing somebody else's point of view that it's not my own of the same place that I've been to is always interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's, I don't know if it's the Castle Rock Badlands or Monument Rock, that's in here. Uh, in Kansas. I wonder if he sat in the shade for those, <laughs> or how hot it was when he was out there. That's true. That's a good question. There's um, some grain silo, grain elevators in Kansas. And there's a lot of stuff on Route 66, mm-hmm. including this leaning water tower in Britain. Yeah, I really want to photograph that. Yes, it is essential. So, yes. so as many of us enjoy photographing on the road, which obviously, Josh, you're kind of killing it. Continue on, please. Um, I like that he kind of kept it real with admitting to, you know, dealing with the same issues that we all deal with. And you definitely dealt with this summer, Eric, which is 
cloudless skies and bright light. Yes, and he did that with what looks like a red filter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he fucking blasted that sky, obviously, because the title is called Black Sky. Yeah. You can't always get lucky with the moody, billowing clouds and dramatic lighting. So I think it was really neat, instead of him just deciding not to shoot at all, he decided to work around it. And he was like, I'm going to just throw some red filters on this bad boy and go for it. And it works. Yeah. It works really, really well. It really works. And I honestly feel like I've been shooting a lot <laughs> in full sun as well, um, especially with low ISO, because that just makes shooting so much easier. Um, it does. It, it makes you not <laughs> take when those like magical moments happen for granted, because mm -hmm. it is so rare when those happen and you can't have days like that all the time. So when you do get those days and he does, he have some, he has some cloud clouds in a few of his here, here <laughs> photographs. There. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple. Uh, so yeah, black sky showcases what you can do create, creatively with a boring sky, I would say, mm -hmm. um, instead of deciding not to shoot, Joshua just packed on those filters and kind of killed it. So I would definitely recommend this. This is a beautiful little zine. Uh, he's there for sale on his big cartel. So it's uh, noisefights.bigcartel.com and they are $15. So check it out. So going from a cloudless sky to a zine full of incredibly cloudy skies, I have Burn by Bike, Backpacking Tillamook Burn Country in Oregon by Stephen Mortison. Jeez. Who, yes, it is a mouthful uh, at negative.nevitz on Instagram. So I like zines and books that tell a story, especially when it comes to travel. And Stephen's zine he shot film while biking through a bit of gray and foggy Western Oregon. He sets the scene, we begin, and we meet the characters, including his bike, I would assume, uh, the roads and the trails, the mountains he traversed, and some of the people who were there. Um, some of the shots are candid, while others are like real slow landscapes. There is action in some, while others contain this quiet stillness. All are shot on Lomography's Potsdam, which is just rebranded Orwo UN54, one of my favorite black and white stocks. He shot them with a Mamiya 645 and C22, as well as a Minolta X370, all cameras I basically used some version of before. This actually both zines are very much cameras that I would use. He even developed them in his bathroom, something I'm very familiar with. Uh, bathroom developing, I mean, not, I'm not familiar with his bathroom. Uh, <laughs> though I'm sure I could find my way around if I had to. Sink, toilet, shower, done. Making a scene of a single trip over the course of several days is something I'm also very familiar with. I love when zines can capture a stretch of time so completely and weekend trips are perfect for that. And obviously with any kind of zine like this, you're, you're, you're leaving out things, but you want to arrange them in such a way where it doesn't feel like you're leaving anything out. Like it feels like to the viewer that you're getting such a complete and intimate picture. And Stephen really does this. I, I feel like there's nothing he hasn't showed, but of course there obviously is. These are still photos and he was out there for a number of days, it seems. So I'm not exactly sure. This is one of these scenes that we get 
sometimes where we're not exactly sure how you get them. <laughs> but you can contact Stephen at negative.nevets. It's N-E-V-E-T-S on Instagram. He used to be negative.reinforcements, I think. And I know that I kind of remember, not kind of, I remember, I remember him being there. Please pick this up. It's it's wonderful. And again, if you did send us one of your zines over the summer, don't worry, we will get to you shortly. Author Lens is made possible by our generous and amazing Patreon subscribers. Through their small monthly donations, we are able to afford to keep this podcast running, baby. Patreon helps us cover expenses for hosting. It helps us buy books and zines to review. So thank you, everybody, for helping us out. We have just one, just one single new patron from over the summer. Yay! Yay! And uh, their name is, I, I'm going to mispronounce this. I do apologize. Aki S? Could be Aki S? Thank you so much for the support. And if you're listening to this and would like to help us out, this is what you get in return. Singing? We do not sing. No. When you subscribe <laughs> to us on Patreon, you get monthly bonus episodes. You get full-length interviews because we edit the interviews down. So you get the full-length versions of those. Some random posts here and there. Uh, some random photos here and there. And kind of a lot of extra nonsense. And lately I've been reading the memoirs of photographer William Henry Jackson, like reading out loud for people to hear me. And I've been doing some commentary along the way. We've got three different levels of support with the cheapest being less than a buck an episode. So head over to patreon.com slash lens for more info. Do you have anything to say, anything to recommend to the fine listeners out there? Yeah, I don't really do this very often, but I'm going to do it do since it. it's been a while. <laughs> uh, so if you go to um, my Surf Martian Instagram and you click into my link tree, you'll see that I actually have a website and I've been cleaning it up and trying to make it look cute. I have been able to kind of pick a printer. So when people do want prints, uh, color, whatever, they can get them just directly off, off of my page. You can get them framed already, canvas, metal, whatever. It's all there. So if you're interested or you're looking for some gift ideas, go check it out. Yeah. And if there is a photo in particular that you would like, please just send me a message and I'll see what I can do. I think I'm probably going to switch them up every couple months. So just kind of do a run mm -hmm. and change them out. It's a good idea. So, so shameful plug ending. Well, I want to plug something that I think I like. It's a little early to tell, but I think so. It is the Granary app. It is sort Ooh. of an Instagram alternative, but just for film photography. It is just new. They don't really have an app per se yet. It is just one guy. Uh, but if you go to granary.app, 
that will take you to the site. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And, and yeah, it is just for film photography. And and we do realize that once you take the photo, develop the film and scan the negative, that photo becomes a digital image. We we get that. We all know how that works. But I think there's a real stark difference between taking a film photo and taking a digital photo. Obviously on a chemical and a practical level, it's night and day, two different things completely. But in most cases, it's also different on a personal level. That isn't to say that film is better than digital. It's just not the same thing and that's okay. The Granary app is there to celebrate film photos. And if you'd like to find a place that does both film and digital, I mean, Flickr still exists. And really, Flickr should be doing a fuck of a lot more than they are. Yeah, I just recommended Flickr to someone today. Yeah, I like Flickr. I'm on Flickr. But right now, they're basically treading water and treading it badly. But somehow, they're still around. (laughs) The thing about Granary is it has, like, you have to enter a camera. You have to enter film when you I love that. And so you can cross-reference and look at all of the other people shooting Tri-X or Fomapan 100 or whatever. Yeah, I I enjoy that part of it. I think it's great. I miss the old days of Instagram where it was your friends and it was on the timeline of when they posted it. That was such a wonderful time. It was. So I'm all for it. We'll see how it goes. Fingers crossed. If you listen to The Last Dev Party, and seriously, why didn't you? I talked some shit on Shanghai Film. And I'm not <laughs> surprise, surprise. Okay, I'm not apologizing. I've had a ton of bad luck with it. But I've recently shot two rolls of it, and I'm going to develop them live, sort of, on Dev Party. <laughs> and as we promised on Dev Party, Vanya is going to be using this gigantic tank from Stearman, like a big Stearman press tank. Uh, yeah, it's a Stearman press tank for one eight by 10 sheet, four, four by five sheets or two, five by sevens. That's amazing. And you'll be also shooting and developing Shanghai. Yeah. yeah so it's going to be, uh, I just checked and it is, it was in Whittier today. So that means by the time, yeah. It'll get here in the next couple of days, and I'm going to be shooting some 8x10, you guys. Fuck yeah. So excited. Very exciting. But will I be disappointed yet again? I know. I hope not. I want Shanghai to prove me wrong. <sighs> I, like, seriously just want to roll my eyes. You guys know how I feel about this. You guys are on my side. I know it. And now for real, it's the ending. Vanya, anything to say? Thank you for listening to All Through a Lens. If you'd like to contact us, we're at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail. And we're at allthroughalens on Twitter. You can also check out our show notes on allthroughalens.com. Vanya is at surfmartian. And Eric is at conspiracy.of.cartographers. Close Both enough. on Instagram. And I am cons of cart <laughs> on granary. Awesome. I'm silver waves of grain on granary. That is correct. You are. But speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag your stuff. Hashtag all through a lens podcast to be featured. You can find our episodes on Spotify as well as on, I never say this one, on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever else you find your podcasts. So subscribe. Oh, and if you can, leave a review. And thank you all so, so much for listening. We love you. 
See you next week at Dev Party. Vanya? Yeah. Do you want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. Let's go. I didn't tell you about that thing with Pam. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, someone's like, oh, like, who's that girl? And I'll be like, what, Pam? Like, Pam Pam Shooter Jennings, best damn shot on the West Coast. She won first place in the tri-count. <laughs> like, I, w- I was at a bar, and I was just, like, in my head waiting for someone to tell to ask me about Pam because she's so pretty. And I figured someone would be like, hey, like, what's, all that, what's up with your girl? And I, like, had this whole idea that I was going to be like, oh, what, Pam Shooter? Pam Shooter Jennings, dude? You don't know Pam? What the heck? Wait, so you were... You were making callbacks to a joke that only you know in your head. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs>